I wanted to be a person that advocates for objective evaluation of people so that everybody has a chance, so that you don't have to be connected and in the circle to have an opportunity. I'm Tracy Lovejoy. And I'm Shannon Lucas. We're the co-CEOs of Catalyst Constellations, which is dedicated to catalyzing innate change makers to accelerate positive change. This is our podcast, Move, Move Fast, Fast, Break Shit, Burn Out, where we highlight catalysts that are creating amazing change in the world. In this season of the podcast, we're diving deep into the skills that make catalysts successful. I'm very excited to be speaking today with Dr. Misha Ann Martin. She has a PhD in industrial organizational psychology and has spent almost 20 years as an employee experience researcher and practitioner. In her current role as senior director, people analytics and research at WorkHuman, Dr. Martin is part of the WorkHuman consulting practice where she provides analytics, analytics consulting to clients and prospects, works closely with the team focused on proving the impact of positive work experiences for individuals and organizations. Excited to hear more about that. Dr. Martin is considered a people analytics and employee experience expert as she has led these same efforts in companies like Flex and JetBlue. One descriptor, Misha Ann, that I pulled out of your LinkedIn, not, not from the bio, it attracted my attention, is calling yourself a workplace activist. And yeah. to me, I was like, that sounds catalytic. Um, thank you so much for joining me today, Misha Ann. I am so honored, especially listening to, you know, um, your descriptor words for catalyst and, you know, having you choose me as a catalyst to talk to. I am stoked. So thank you so much. <laughs> oh, that makes me feel great too. So let's do, let's dive into that. I'd love to start by hearing how you relate to the concept of catalyst. Yeah. So I started my career, you know, with a clear charter to change the working world and you know, I came to this country as an immigrant. I came from a poorer country, which is Jamaica. And I came in and I was like, what could be the problem? This country is rich. What do you mean Black people are not having a great experience here? And so I started to study it. And of course, I realized that even though this country is wealthy, not everybody participates equally in that. So by the time I was ready to start my career, I wanted to change that. You know, I wanted to be a person that advocates for objective evaluation of people so that everybody has a chance, so that you don't have to be connected and in the circle to have an opportunity. I started to understand that your ability to have a job and a career was really a way to kind of catch up, right, um, in terms of wealth, when you're coming from potentially generations of, of poverty and wrongdoing in this country that set certain people behind, right? So it's a way mm -hmm. to catch up for the past and build a future. And so how you, how you experience work, how you get opportunities um, is really important to not only how you feel about yourself, how you're how you're able to take care of yourself and your family, but also setting up, you know, generational wealth and um, kind of in a way making up for a lack of opportunity to do that in the past. So I started my career really, really energized to make a difference in that area. I'd love you to kind of bring me back because I'm guessing then it goes further back before your career. I have honestly never had anyone say to me, I started a career with a charter. 
Yeah. Can you talk to me a little bit about that and like, who were you or, or what, what was, you know, happening in your life that that's yeah. a true thing for you? Yeah. So I came to this country very young at 16, but I came to start college and I knew I wanted to do psychology because I just liked it. Right. But coming in as a black person and a minority for the first time, it also started this questioning of, you know, who am I as a black person here in this country? And what does that mean? And so I started to do research on diversity topics all the way back in undergrad. And I, and I continued doing that in graduate school. And so the more I learned about, you know, these inequities, um, it's really funny because I'm a Libra and I don't really believe in horoscopes or anything, but the crappiest thing for me is that I'm the Libra as Libra that ever did Libra. And so you know how the how the sign for Libras is like justice and skills. It just really bothered me when I started to understand that things weren't equal, especially for a population that had been so wronged in the past. And so, you know, my favorite subject at the time was statistics. And so I really thought about how I could use my particular skills to help make this situation different and better. And so, yeah, that was, that was my journey. It was, it was all wrapped up in my searching for my own identity in this new place that I was now living. I don't, I don't speak to, sorry, there's so much happening in my brain. <laughs> As we study catalysts, you know, people ask us, when do you know, right? Yeah. And certainly Shannon and I can go back and other people can go back. And, and for most people we talk to, it, it seems to have been there from childhood. Was it born? Are there things that created it? We're not entirely sure. Yeah. Um, but we can point to the signs of, you know, things we were doing. But I don't know that folks can really decide if they're a catalyst or not until they're later in life and we kind of see like does that drive for action to create change really begin to take hold um it's pretty rare that i get to talk to people that it wasn't just hey i was running programs at 16 but you were actively seeking identity and then it's, so i'm guessing you finished school if you started at 16 somewhere 1920 21 exactly well actually um, undergrad at 20. And then I didn't get my PhD till 26. And so okay. really um, crystallized for me, I would say in grad school. So somewhere between 20 and 26, because you know, grad school is super research heavy. And so the right. more I'm doing research on this topic and uncovering all the layers of, of issues and barriers. And my yeah. major professor was a um, social psychologist. And so I'm studying like bias and prejudices and I'm like, whoa, this is a lot. It's not yeah. only, you know, access to opportunities, but it's how people are perceived. Like it's a lot. And so yeah. I think, you know, as people are thinking about becoming a catalyst, I feel like the first thing has to be something that you feel deeply is wrong. You know, I feel like that's where, that's where it starts because you know, I see a lot of people in their careers try to, or in their lives, just try to do something they're good at. And I think that that's only the part 
that's only part of the story and that's only part of personal fulfillment. I personally believe that the best catalyst is somebody who is applying their unique skills to change something that they deeply, deeply care about. So that's mm. the that's the motivation as well as the um, you know, the capability, right? Like to make mm -hmm. a difference. That was incredibly powerful. Thank you. You're welcome. I love that call. Uh, so it's such a beautiful bounce, you know, it's the catalyst applying their unique skills. And so what do you find have been one or two essential skills that have made you successful as a catalyst? And we love to hear the stories because often yeah. we, you know, kind of figure out the skills as we fail along the way. Um, so we'd love to hear your experiences. So I think the first skill or characteristic that really helped me was curiosity. And I have an uncle that teases me that, you know, he tells me that from I was very young, I was super annoying because I kept asking, but why? <laughs> and, you know, it's no surprise I'm in people analytics because that's what I'm doing every day. I'm uncovering root causes and figuring out, but why? And so I think this, this trait of really wanting to understand human behaviors, because I'll be honest, for technology, the answer can be because it's magic, but for human behavior, I, I don't accept that. I've always wanted to know why, right? And so that was the first thing, because when you're driving change, you need to really address the root cause and not necessarily the symptom. And that's how you get to... Uh, change that is lasting. But later in my career, I developed something that has helped me a lot more recently. And it's harder, but it's so much more powerful. And that is vulnerability. I would say early in my career, you know, I was focused on telling the story behind the data and telling the stories of, you know, marginalized groups. But I held myself away from those stories, kind of like as the objective observer and scientist. And then George Floyd got murdered and I got really pissed off. And, um, you know, that moment encouraged me to be a lot more vulnerable and become part of the story. And so I was recently named one of the top 100 influencers in HR tech. And between, thank you. And between, you know, the George Floyd murder and that moment, was three years plus of vulnerability and me really leaning into that and talking about, you know, my experiences and how I feel because I am part of this story. And so I think that that vulnerability has, I know that that vulnerability has really um, made an, an impact in my career and my ability to move things forward and to change minds and to change behaviors. I'd love to hear a little bit more about you know, kind of what that looks like. I think that people can hear vulnerability and it means, you know, kind of sharing my story. You're, I'm hearing that it's also in kind of the actions you're taking. So I'd love to hear, um, you know, kind of before the murder of George Floyd, mm -hmm. how did Lisa Ann show up? Yeah. And then in these three years since, like, can you help me see the difference? Yeah. So before the murder of George Floyd, when I was presenting data like around employee experience, I was very careful to not be part of the story and to not give, you know, like my 
um, my opinions about things. Like this is what the data says. This is what I recommend. This is what we're hearing. And I was very, I would say, detached from what I was saying personally, right? And then, you know, a series of things happened. And the George Floyd murder was, I would say, the last. One of the more important things that happened is that I had some serious health problems at the beginning of that year. And, you know, I started to contemplate what my mortality. Now, I'm fine. But at the, in the moment, you know, I was having all these tests, all these things were going wrong. And so when you come from a moment where you you seriously consider dying, <laughs> you wonder about what what legacy have I left behind? How have I how how am I leaving the world better than I found it? Um, I got laid off as well. The pandemic happened, and then George Floyd. And so I had a lot of time to think about, okay, what do I want the rest of my life to look like? You know, I have this new opportunity where I'm taking on a new job. How do I want this to fulfill the way that I wish to change the world? And so I got a job with WorkHuman. And one of the first things that happened was a test of me wanting to be more vulnerable because I had the intention, but then there was the action, right? And so I was so pissed off you know, with the George Floyd murder and like all these companies doing things that I thought were performative that weren't going to last. And so what I did was I wrote an article about how to come up with a sustainable diversity strategy. And part of the title of that article was something like um, from moment to movement. And I just outlined all these steps, like a friend of mine read it and called it a blueprint. And that's a really good way to describe it. So I submitted it to Work Human because I knew that as part of this job, I could write things and have them submit it to various publications on my behalf and get it and get it published. And so I'm new in my role. I did that, you know, first thing. And then one of the first pieces of feedback I got was, yeah, it's good, but, you know, there's no you in it. And I was like, do you think I don't have a personality? Like what's going right. on here? Right, what does that mean? What does that mean? Yes, yes. And then I had a new direct report at the time who read it and gave me feedback. And she said, it's great, but I would have never guessed that you wrote it. And these were two independent pieces of feedback. And Ooh. I was like, all right, universe, I hear you. Hear you. And it took me weeks to re-edit that article. Weeks, because I was afraid, because this is hard. And when I did, I came in screaming hot. Like I put everything I was feeling in that article in addition to the blueprint. And I'm so proud of how that turned out. It ended up being a webinar. It was, and I think it was a, it was a launch into this new phase of my career where I am, you know, marrying uh, vulnerability with a call to action. And I've been, I've been doing that ever since. You said something that really piqued my interest in that last moment of I put in what I'm feeling. Yes. And I don't know, you know, of course, Renee Brown talked about this, that in kind of corporate discussion around vulnerability, I don't know that I hear people talk about the need to connect with your feelings to be vulnerable. Right. Can you say a little bit more about that and in, in the process it took? You said it took weeks. Like, 
how does one get in touch with their feeling and make that decision of what's in bounds? Yeah, I think being pissed off helped <laughs> and being encouraged also helped. But I think back to, um, you know, early in my career, and I remember we were having a meeting of the HR leadership team at the time and the CHRO said to me in this meeting, I was so young and I was so obnoxious. Okay, disclaimer. So she said, um, well, how do you feel? And I said, you pay me for my performance, not my feelings. And I refused to talk about my feelings. And when I reflect on that now, I realize it's because I didn't feel safe. Mm. And so if you want somebody to be vulnerable and to trust you with their feelings, you have to create a safe space for that. It is not a coincidence that I've spent a lot of my recent career studying and talking about psychological safety. This is where this begins because I don't owe you my feelings. But if I choose to give it to you, it's because I trust you. And I trust mm -hmm. that you will hold them and not weaponize them and help me through whatever I have trusted you enough to share with you. And so I think that, you know, uh, Work Human created that safe space by encouraging me. I think that I was pissed off enough. And I think I got to a stage in my career where I was ready. I was tired of holding all these feelings to myself. And it's like, you know, when you have a stream of water, like in a pipe or something, and it's stopped up for so long, it's just, when it, when it lets, loose, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So it was time for me to let loose. Right. So that it, was kind of the first letting loose. What transformed for you? Because it sounds like this has become a norm now. I'm guessing it doesn't take weeks and weeks and a lot of fear. Yes. So, you know, kind of bring us to present day and what is vulnerability and emotion and what's the role it plays for you as a scientist, as a psychologist, as an analytic professional? Yeah, so it helps me to remember that every number I'm reporting is a person and a story with feelings. And so I think that, you know, my own experience for this has given me more reverence for the stories I'm telling. If you look at the history of my LinkedIn, you will see, you know, a change in how much I'm speaking, what I'm speaking about, and how I deliver the messages that I'm delivering. You know, mm -hmm. I'm just a lot more human publicly than I used to be. Now, I talked before about, you know, intention versus action. It's not that it became easy or easier. It it never is. You know, I, I do public speaking a lot and people are surprised to know that I get nervous every time. It is not easy to put yeah. yourself out there. And I mean, I've had this, these, these weird occurrences where I've had to do, you know, address big groups of people after big things that have affected me deeply. So I had to do something big for work human live right after the Buffalo shooting. I mean, I was literally in bed, fully clothed, sobbing, you know, maybe a day and a half before I got on stage doing that. You know, I did um, my first Gallup keynote right after that, um, that lady was killed by her neighbor. Um, you know, a black lady was killed by her white neighbor after she 
went to talk to her about some dispute with her son. And I, I found that out like the morning before I was supposed to get on that stage. And I was inconsolable, right? And so I guess my point is it doesn't get easy, but with any muscle, um, with, um, with practice, it just gets more developed and you learn how to do it more. And what is reinforcing is the way that people respond to it. And when they come up to you and they say, I think differently now, and here's what I'm going to do differently as a result. That's, that's where my, my brain was going as you're talking about the process of, you know, it doesn't get easier. It's like, so why do it? Like, what's the, and so it sounds like you're able to affect more change. That's right. And you had mentioned earlier that, you know, in your training, learning that the systemic problems that sit here aren't just like fix the disparity. That's right. It's the depth of mindset and bringing awareness. And so you are able to tap into that deeper place of mindset and awareness by bringing the vulnerability to the data. Is that right? That is exactly right. Earlier in my career, I thought if I could just help them see, right? Because you're thinking about these big organizations and sometimes the, oftentimes the experiences of smaller group gets smaller groups get lost. And so I like to say that the mean hides a multitude of sins. And so I would go beyond the mean and show like different experiences of different people and how we could make that, you know, uh, make that better. And my whole thing was if I could just make them see. And now that I'm more mature in my career, I realize that it's more powerful if I could just make them feel. Because if I could make them feel, then I could create the motivation for them to change what they see. It's, it's Thank a you lot, right? <laughs> for that. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it just, it reverberates so deeply in my body. And um, I so appreciate that the framing of vulnerability, we have a lot of people that we have conversations around storytelling and that's implicit in what you're talking about um, and storytelling as a means to help people connect to the information and to feel, but you're, you're bringing a different way to connecting to people, which is bringing your vulnerability, your emotion, your humanness um, to connect to their humanness. That's right. There's that, a in all of us, you know, and most people yeah. are fundamentally good. And so once you create, once you connect human to human and create the motivation, good things happen. Right. And I, yeah. I've been learning that and leaning into that lately. Thank you. Those, that was just such a gift. You're welcome. So what is your biggest challenge as a catalyst leader these days? Oh my goodness. Okay. So earlier in my career, before I was doing this, yeah. I could work hours on end. You know, I have that immigrant like work ethic. Like I could just go and, and I'm like, I'm working hard, right? When you are doing this kind of work, like this vulnerability work, you wear out in a different way. And so I have had to adjust to that and realize I can't do this at the same pace that as I was when I was doing this in a way where I was personally detached. And so mm. I really struggled with that. Last year, this time, I was not in a great place. I was not. I was worn out emotionally. Like the recovery for this type of work 
is completely different. And so what I'm trying to learn now, when I came up with this at the beginning of this year, I need to find ways to maintain my energy as I do this work. So do I find joy? You know, how do I recover? How do I focus on the things that I can change instead of trying to focus on everything, burning out and affecting nothing, right? So mm-hmm. my my new plan is to have a strategy for restoring mm-hmm. so that I have the energy to fight the things that I am uniquely equipped to fight and I will fight like hell mm-hmm. <laughs> to change those things. And once I've done all the things that I could do, then I'm going to let it go for my own, for my own health and so that I can live to fight another day. And so that has been a real shift for somebody who just is used to just hammering, right? Right. Yeah. So I had to be more strategic in my energy now because I, I wear out differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and you probably, you know, know Tan and I, especially with the title of our book, Move Fast, Friendship Burnout, mm-hmm. that this this idea of, of burnout is something that we um, are very focused on. And I'm hearing some really useful, unique things for me. Tell me if I'm getting this right of tapping into joy. Yes. Right. What is it that can maintain my energy and joy is a, is a big component of that for you. Um, have a strategy for restoring so I can fight what I'm, I uniquely can fight. So really picking what are the activities and actions and places that you should put the most energy. Yes. Um, and then third, because you had said uh, vulnerability work will wear you out differently than when you're personally detached. And I was so curious. I was like, how can you catalyze and not be detached? You're moving the detachment point. So it sounds like you used to be detached all the way around. And now you're like, I am detaching from the outcome at some point. You're like, I've done it and I can't, I can't stay connected to all of the things. That's right. How does one detach when you have, you know, you work in your passion that's your personal charter, mm-hmm. that now you're bringing your, the depth of your emotion and personal story and vulnerability. How do you? How do you let it go? Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. So my mother used to say to me when I was younger, um, when man on earth has done his best, angels in heaven couldn't do better. And so I say to myself, what can I do? What can I, what can and I, and I do all the things that I can think to do. And then it's, it's really an intellectual exercise because I know that if I continue to ruminate on the outcome past the point where I have agency, then I don't have any energy to continue to have agency moving forward. And that's what I learned at the end of last year, because at the end of last year, I was really, I was really thinking about, is this worth it? Do I really want to keep doing this? Do I have the energy to keep doing this? Mm -hmm. So I think that getting into that deep hole motivated me not to get into that deep hole anymore. And actually what saved me from that deep hole was one person who I don't even know. So I 
work for a recognition company mm-hmm. and um as part of our, our our technology people can send recognition to each other and it shows up on a social feed you can attach a monetary value to it or not and when i was going through all of this someone i don't know sent me a message that said i see you and she said basically you know i see the things that you're saying in our dei slack channel and i want you to know that you've made a difference in my life and she said i've learned and i'm now i'm now advocating differently because of the things that you have done and have taught me and i don't know this person never met her a day in my life and so that message from somebody i didn't know saved me right and i was like okay i it was a great reminder that i am making a difference and i need to do something differently in order to conserve my energy so that i can keep making a difference yeah Wow. Thank you for sharing that story. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay. I'm going to turn us as we um, come up a level <laughs> into our rapid fire. And I would love okay. to hear from you, and what is one thing that you do to be ready for a big meeting? So I'll tell you what I do, and then I'll tell you what I should do. <laughs> so <laughs> I I prep and practice a lot. Like I'll even mm-hmm. go through my presentations to make sure, you know, I'm solid. What I should be doing is a breathing exercise. Okay. That's what I should be doing to calm myself down. So maybe that's something I'll add to my repertoire next year. Like just take a minute to Mm -hmm. breathe and perhaps even meditate. That's what I should be doing. Okay. That'll be as you continue to to connect with how you support this energy. Okay. Uh, Your favorite way to spend a free day. Oh my gosh, outside. I love being outside. I love hiking. I like kayaking. And sometimes even when I'm tired, just sitting on a bench, I love, or or hammock time with a book. I really love being outside. What is the, I'm guessing there's a connection between them. So what is it that these types of activities give you? So I like being outside because it gives me time with my thoughts and to really think things through and to just empty and breathe. So Mm. it's restorative for me. It's a way to, you know, restore my, my emotional energy. Okay. So that's one of the key things you've learned in terms of this, this maintenance. That's right. Okay. Have you amplified that more in your life since you had that moment in the hole? Yes, because during that time, you know, I was laid off and I was, you know, doing a lot of thoughts about having a lot of thoughts about what I wanted the rest of my life to be like. And so I hiked a lot, you know, Um, I was in isolation because of the pandemic and because of my previous health issues. Um, I had a lovely backyard, uh, fortunately for me. So I spent a lot of time outside and I had an opportunity to realize how much that was healing me. And so mm. I've continued that, um, you know, even though I'm not isolated and I am working, I still continue that. I love that you've been able to, to keep that and build that in. That's really powerful. All right. How, who is your favorite famous catalyst, alive or dead and why? <laughs> so my favorite catalyst is Nanny of the Maroons. She is a national hero in Jamaica, and she was the leader of a um, a community 
of escaped slaves who resisted the British colonizers and British occupancy of Jamaica. And she's my favorite because, you know, like she was just a badass, right? Like when I think about her resisting this institution that is sanctioned by so many big countries and her just going, yeah, no, this is, this is not cool. And word on the street is, you know, I probably have maroon blood as well because of the color of my finger beds. I don't know, but I like to think that I have that same spirit of resistance in me and the power to stand firm and go, even if this is an institution or a system, it is not okay. That would, that would certainly connect you at 16 already the way that you were showing up and asking questions and leaning into that curiosity. Um, thank you. I I don't I, I don't know. You said it's Nani Nani of the Maroons. Nani N A N N A. I am so excited to learn more. Thank you for introducing me. To <laughs> You're welcome. And as we wrap up today, what is your call to action for our listeners? So I think I'll just repeat something that I said earlier in this conversation. You know, I did a podcast a while back with. Um, someone called Dan Tamasulo, and he talked about, you know, when life is lifing <laughs> and is really challenging, it is really important to find your agency and what you can do. And that actually makes you happier. So I encourage everybody to spend a moment thinking about, you know, what do you deeply care about? And what are your unique skills and capabilities that you can apply to that? How can you find your own agency in that situation. Not only will you change the world, but it will actually make you happier as well. That is like the perfect summary for this conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much, Misha Ann. Thank you for having me on. I really, really enjoyed this. I'm glad. Me too. I feel like we just, um, I don't know, had our own little journey together. That's what it feels like. It yeah, it's like. funny because I'm a people analytics person, but I didn't really talk that much about analytics <laughs> because it's the tool through which I'm trying to change the world, right? It's just the tool. Right. It's yeah. my it's my unique tool. <laughs> and I'm guessing it's it's the embodiment of Misha Ann today mm-hmm. versus who I would have met in 2019. That's right. So it's lovely to meet the new you, the the current you. Thank you so much. This has really been a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more about how to accelerate positive change, go to our website at www.catalystconstellation.com. Be sure to check out our book, Move Fast, Break Shit Burnout. And if you have other catalysts in your life, hit the share button and send the link their way. 